Altogether, I have watched 21 seasons of Little League Baseball with my sons. And I can tell you there's this sort of wonderful progression that takes place from the early years to the, the later years, where the games morph from something that pretty much resembles the Three Stooges <laughs> to something that is actually baseball, which is quite a lot of fun. And and along the way, they obviously improve in fundamentals, but the thing that transforms the games is that they learn to play their positions. When they start out, the inability to play a position is, is absurd at times. Uh, I mean, the great part is, like, the kids usually know where they're supposed to stand before the ball starts moving, and so they will... They'll be, they'll be in the spot before either the, if it's t-ball, the ball gets hit, or baseball, the pitch goes out. Uh, they know where to stand, but they have no idea what to do once the ball starts moving, right? And, and there's generally two approaches that the kids will take. One is they will stand like statues, no matter what happens. And if the ball happens to come straight at them, they will do something. And if it's like a foot over here, that thing's gone to the outfield. <laughs> the other alternative, the other model you see a lot is the kid who runs all over the field no matter what position they're supposed to play. So, so after the play takes place, you will find the third baseman standing on the first base, probably having shoved the first baseman out of the way. <laughs> and usually there's a couple of outfielders holding a meeting at first base too. <laughs> And it's all very cute and funny in the beginning, but I, I have to in my fallen humanity, it starts to lose its charm after a while. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> but over the years, miraculously, it seems, the kids slowly begin to understand the roles, the responsibilities, and the expectations of the various positions. And bit by bit, these these gatherings turn into actual baseball games played by actual baseball players. And honestly, that's a lot of fun when you kind of turn that corner and most of the time you're watching baseball and not cluster ball uh, as they get a little cluster over where they think the ball is and miss the, all the actions actually taking place on the other side of the field. And the key difference is not about individual or personal skill, the key difference is that they understand and fulfill their assigned roles and responsibilities. And church is like that. All right, there's my transition. Right, church is just like that. Every Christian has natural abilities and talents, the things we are born with. They, we have skills that we gather through life and school and the workplace. And then God gives us gifts through the Holy Spirit, and every Christian is called to put these things to work, our talents, our skills, and our gifts. We're, we're called to use them for God's kingdom, and we're, we're specifically called to use them in the context of a local church, because that's how God works in the world, is through local gatherings of believers we call church, not the building, the gatherings of believers. The thing is, we have to be discerning about the role God calls us to play at each season of our life. And those roles can change over time, right? If you've lived enough seasons of life, you can attest that when you're faithful, your, your role changes. But there always is a role. And when we get it right, it is a beautiful thing, right? It's like that great game of baseball because everyone does what they're supposed to do. It's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ functions 
the way it is supposed to function because everyone is doing the job God has gifted, equipped, and called them to do. And let's face it, I think most of us probably have some experiences where we get it wrong, where we don't do the thing God is calling us to do. We think it's a good idea, but it turns out not to be, and it becomes exhausting and exasperating and sometimes just an ineffective mess. And I'm focusing on this today, right? We are, we are broadly working on parables, which we will resume next week, talking about parables and applying them to life. But we're focusing on this today, this idea of getting in the right role, because we are celebrating a key moment in the life of our church, the election of deacons. Now, this is always an important moment in the life of a church, but it is particularly so this year. And and I want, and we'll be explaining and unpacking why, but, but the short form is that this election today is the culmination of a major revisioning of what is the purpose and the responsibilities of the deacon within Lake Ridge Baptist Church to align to our vision as a church, which is to be a lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner. And so today we are celebrating service to the church, and that is the service of every Christian that we celebrate. But we are going to be looking at deacon service in particular this morning through the lens of a crisis that took place in the early church that is described for us in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is an incredibly rich passage. As a pastor, I feel like I am regularly learning new lessons from these verses about how the church most effectively and best operates to glorify God and grow his kingdom, which is, of course, our mission and task. But we're going to explore three specific lessons today. First, we must align roles and responsibilities within the church to please God, not people. Acts chapter 6, it begins by describing a crisis that was literally threatening to split the early church. Verse 1 explains, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, The story here, what's happening, is the early church is growing really rapidly, right? The Spirit is at work. Great things are happening for the kingdom of God, but there is an emerging issue of justice and fairness and love within the congregation that was threatening to to derail things. 
The church at this point in time consisted mainly of two groups of believers. There were converted Jews who were native to Israel, and so their, their main language was Aramaic and Hebrew. And then there were converted Jews from everywhere else in the world, and their primary language was Greek, which was the common language of the day, just as English is the common kind of language of business and travel today. And in those days, if you were a widow and you either had no children living or there were no children nearby, you were pretty much doomed to poverty. A widow had very little opportunity for employment, and there was nobody who would be caring for her. And it seems like the early church was doing a great job of distributing food on a daily basis to provide for these poor widows, as long as they were the local natives who spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. And perhaps because of language or because of cultural barriers, the widows from the other countries were kind of slipping through the cracks. And it doesn't read, as we read the passage, it doesn't read like anyone was intentionally leaving them out. But the church was nonetheless experiencing those kinds of hiccups in care that often can take place during seasons of rapid growth. You see, those who were were kind of close to the the cultural core and the, the history of the body of Christ, they were being cared for much better than those who were out on the fringe. And this, of course, is always a risk in church life. And so the problem was growing, and as it kind of grew and festered, some number of people from the congregation came to the apostles and said, fix this. And what we see is a very interesting response from the apostles. They essentially say, we ourselves are not going to fix this. Right? I mean, you would imagine, just seeing how church life has unfolded for 2,000 years, that when they came and said, fix this, they really meant, you fix this by doing a better job of spreading the bread around. And the apostles said it's not their job, it's not their role to distribute the food themselves. Verse 2 reports, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. They gathered the whole church. They had a business meeting. (laughs) And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I got to think that there were some people in the church who did not appreciate this answer. It is not what they were expecting. I mean, the, the apostles are the superstars of the church. How could they possibly say no to caring for these poor widows? I mean, the twelve apostles certainly could have done it. They could have spent more time distributing bread. They could have worked harder. Probably in the process, they would have enjoyed that opportunity to serve and and really, you know, connect with these poor widows that they don't know very well in the church. But they recognized that doing that would have pleased the congregation, probably would have increased their personal popularity, They might have been pleased to do it themselves, but it would not have been pleasing to God. See, when they said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, they're not saying that they're too good to serve tables. They're saying it wouldn't be right in God's eyes for them to do this thing because there were things that they were uniquely gifted and called to do, things that no one else could. To our ears, it sounds kind of harsh what the apostles had to say, right? 
And yet, it is absolutely critical to maintaining and growing a kingdom-focused church. It was true then. It is true today. Those apostles were gifted and called to preach and teach, and they needed to, to keep that and prayer as their top priorities no matter what. But that's not to say the church wasn't supposed to, to love these poor widows. right? They're just saying they had to understand the proper roles and responsibilities within the church. They wisely presented a more God-pleasing path by guiding the congregation to solve the problem themselves. In verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. See, the beautiful thing about this the solution isn't, is that it doesn't just solve the problem they had at that moment with the, the specific number of widows they had at that moment. They were actually growing the capacity of the congregation to love people and care for people as the church continued to grow. Right, That is a powerful thing to be able to do that. Because what would happen is they would allow Christ's love to be demonstrated to the watching world. And we'll be unpacking that throughout the rest of the morning. But the point is Christ's love would be demonstrated. These poor widows would be cared for. And the apostles could focus on their assigned role that they outlined so succinctly in verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the church, the congregation, called out from within themselves seven men qualified for the job. These were godly, proven servants. They had a track record. And their names in verse 5 indicate that all of them came from a Greek-speaking background. They were the ones best qualified to care for those who were on the margins of the church fellowship. The apostles ordained them to serve in verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. These seven were congregationally selected. They were qualified for the job. They were called by God, and they were ordained to serve. This was a solution that pleased God because it put the right people into the right roles and responsibilities for his glory and for the growth of his kingdom. And we know that because of verse 7, which I'll be expanding on later, that explosive growth that was released because of solving the crisis correctly. And this is a pattern, right? A pattern of, of selection, qualification, calling, and ordination that we seek to imitate today as we are preparing to elect and ordain or install five deacons from this congregation. And so lesson two is that deacons have a special role in the local church. These seven are never explicitly called deacons. In Greek, that word is diakonos. It literally just means servant. You can be a, a diakonos in a house where you're just, you know, the person who's cooking or cleaning. But it is a specific role in the church as well. <laughs> we got plenty of diakonos here, right? But many, including myself, would consider these to be the first deacons, or at least the model for what deacon service is down through the centuries within the church. Deacons have played a significant historical role in the Christian church. You see, the New Testament actually only identifies two specific church offices. The first is, is the role that is variously called pastor, 
shepherd, overseer, or elder. There are three different Greek words that describe this role, but key passages make it clear that they are all referring to the same group of people, just describing different aspects of our job as ministers. And the second office is that of the diakonos, the deacon, the formal servant of the church. Philippians 1.1, which, depending on your reading plan, was actually the reading today uh, on one of our reading plans, is addressed to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Romans 16, verse 1, commends Phoebe, a sister in Christ, who is a diakonos, or deacon, of the church at Kencray. Deacons continue to play an important role in the life of the church down to the present day, but the role of the deacon at this specific church had, over the years, become muddled, confused, unclear, somewhat ambiguous. Everybody had an idea of what a deacon was supposed to do, but nobody had a common vision or idea or understanding of what a deacon was supposed to do. The responsibilities were confused. They had been, some of them were forgotten. They were ambiguous. They were large, many of them were irrelevant in light of a vision that calls every Christian to serve God, to serve his kingdom, to be the lighthouse. Many deacon responsibilities were developed at a very different time in the life of this church. <coughs> and so some responsibilities that were very important for the operation of the church in the 1970s and 80s had become nearly meaningless. And so we actually took six months last year to work through developing a clear articulation, a clear vision of what it means to be a deacon at Lake Ridge Baptist Church, to be in a way that is consistent with Scripture and aligned to our church's God-given vision. We spent time in prayer and reflection on passages like Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3. We gathered the active and inactive deacons to reflect on the past and the present and the future of deacon service here. The outcome of that is a two-page document that lays out the vision and expectations for deacons at Lake Ridge Baptist Church. And the overarching theme is service, that deacons will set an example of faithful service, both in the ways that God has gifted them and in the places where this church just simply needs someone to serve. The vision begins based on Acts 6, 1 through 7. The threefold task of the deacons at Lake Ridge Baptist Church consists of serving God, that he may be glorified in his kingdom advance, ministering to people that all are well connected to the body of Christ, and enabling pastors that they may focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. It goes on to say, while every member of the body of believers is called to serve Christ and one another, deacons are to be a model of that service. The deacons at LRBC serve God by being faithful and diligent kingdom-minded servants, prayer warriors, and catalyzers. Deacons at LRBC minister to people by discipling members of the congregation and ministering to the needs of the congregation, particularly those individuals who are only loosely connected to the body. This may include caring for, visiting with, building relationships, and providing biblically-based counsel to congregants. And deacons at LRBC enable the pastors by serving as key team members to accomplish priorities aligned to the 2020 vision temporarily filling unexpected needs within the operations and life of the church, assisting in implementing pastoral teaching and ministry, and administering the ordinance of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
it goes on, I won't continue to read for you, but it goes on to lay out some clear expectations of the level of service and the kinds of service, the fidelity in prayer for this church and this congregation uh, that is expected of some who will serve here as deacons. And so over the course of this year, you will see our deacons operating in different ways than you have seen them before. And many times you will not see, but they will be operating in ways that we need them as a congregation to serve. Biblically, deacons are to be selected from and by this congregation, and deacons must fulfill the requirements that are outlined in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 12. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Now, as part of this vision, right, well, I, and I got to tell you, I know this is, can be a little dry for folks, but we'll get to the why is this so exciting, right? But for you, if you're a longstanding person you, of this church, you know there's been some doubts about what do we do with deacons? Why do we even have deacons? Uh, who are the deacons? And so part of why I'm so excited is uh, just for this vision and because we have increased the rigor used to select deacons. We started with nominations from the congregation. That's awesome. Don't feel bad at all. I love that. Because that is the sound of life. I love life. So we started with nominations from the congregation. There was an opportunity for concerns to be raised privately within the deacon body about any nominees. Nominees were invited to respond to their nomination with a written testimony and biographical information. Deacon leadership and I then conducted extensive deacon interviews. Uh, We asked candidates to share the gospel with us, to explain their daily spiritual practices, to describe specific ways they had grown spiritually in the past year, to describe their current modes of service to this church, to explain their understanding of the role of deacon, and we covered a wide variety of other topics too. The the interviews were were the longest but the most enjoyable deacon interviews I've ever been a part of. Uh, I think the shortest was right in the neighborhood of an hour. And we went up from there. And then we discussed each candidate within the deacon body that required a unanimous vote of all deacons present for a candidate to come to this point today, which is approval by the congregation. Today is that final step. We have five candidates that we believe are selected, qualified, and called to serve, just as those first servants of the church were. And I want to invite them to come forward and stand with me. This side will be less blinding. Uh, For the next couple minutes, I'm not asking them to talk. uh, So you'll get a chance to hear them next Sunday night if you would like to hear them. Uh, Their biographies and testimonies have been in the bulletin for two weeks, but there's extra copies in the back if you'd like to know more about these five. And so now I am going to call a very brief very brief, special business meeting into order, after which I will finish my sermon. And the purpose of this meeting is to vote on these five candidates to serve as deacons for a period of at least three years. If elected, their term will begin next Sunday evening with a service of ordination and installation at 6 p.m. 
And I really want to encourage and invite you to come. They'll be sharing testimonies. This is a great opportunity to pray over them and encourage them. Uh, it's a special evening. There will be no discussion in this business meeting. Its purpose is simply to vote. So we've got ushers in the back with the ballots. If you are a member of this church, please raise your hand to get a ballot. And what you're going to find on the ballot are five lines, one for each of the five candidates. You have three choices for each of the five candidates. Yes, no, or abstain. And it's fine to abstain if you just simply don't know and can't render a decision about someone because you don't know them well. And don't forget us. I'm sure we'll want to vote in the front here, too. Uh, as a member, your vote matters a great deal. We're requiring each candidate to receive 80% affirmation in order to serve, which is a fairly high bar. Um, but we think that's important. There is no limit on the number uh, you can vote for. And so you can vote yes, you can vote no. It's, but if you are not a member of the church, again, I just ask, bear with us for just about three or four minutes um, while we vote. And I would ask that if you're not a member of the church, please don't vote yourself. Uh, when you are finished with your ballot, please just pass it to the, one of the center aisles and we'll have people collect. Uh, righty. Everybody get a ballot in... Anybody need anything else? Raise your hand if you need anything else related to this. Otherwise, is there a motion to adjourn the business meeting? All right, I saw that and seconded. All right, all in favor of resuming worship? Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. So why do we do all this? Why do we do like the thing we never do, which is interrupt the flow of the service? to have a business meeting about deacons. Why do we put such a priority? Why do we spend six months last year working through what it meant to, to be a deacon, to get this role right, and then to make sure that we are calling the right men and women to serve in this capacity? It is because amazing things can happen for the kingdom when we get our roles right. You see, Acts 6 starts with a crisis, but verse 7 explains what happens when we resolve a crisis in a godly way, right, when we get our roles and responsibilities right, and verse 7 tells us, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, the crisis had been resolved, and we always think crises are bad. And in a perfect world, we wouldn't have crises, but we're not in a perfect world. So crises are going to happen. We always think they're bad, but instead we see sometimes when we resolve a crisis, we deal with it the right way. Amazing things happen. Right? The roadblock to kingdom growth was overcome. The, the widows were cared for, and the church grew explosively. Right? The church didn't add members. It multiplied them greatly. Can you even imagine what that harvest would look like, could look like, will look like? I mean, just amazing. Many priests, temple priests, trained priests became believers in Jesus Christ. If we were to put that in today's terms, that would be like saying a great many Muslim imams 
became believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, which, which God willing, we pray will happen one day. And why did this explosive growth take place? Well, certainly because God's Spirit was moving. God's Spirit is the primary agent throughout all of the book of Acts. But we also have to realize that, that because of what they did there, because of the time they took to get things right, outsiders were able to visibly see the love of Christ displayed through the care for these poor widows of every race and nation. You see, as Christians, we stand as recipients of God's love. You think about it, right? We were once sinful messes, lost and rebellious against God's will, and yet God loved us so much anyway. He loved us so much anyway, despite that mess that we are, that he gave his eternal son Jesus to become one of us, to walk among us, to die as a sacrifice for us, so that we could receive and enjoy God's love forever and ever. Because Jesus never sinned, when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty for all our sin. And when he rose from the dead, he opened the door for us to have a relationship with God by putting our faith in him. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven and we receive eternal life. We are ongoing daily recipients of God's love. Let me get some amens on that one at least. Yes. We're going to turn into an amen in congregation before we're done. That's right. I got my amens corner over here, but I got some amens over here. We're going to turn into a full on amen in congregation in just a few months or years from now. All right. We are ongoing daily recipients of God's love. And that's like exciting for us, obviously. That is life-changing for us. We know it. Sometimes we know it so well or hear it so often that we take it for granted. We love to talk about it. But, but the point of this passage, I think, is that when those words turned into actions that were visible to outsiders, they became particularly powerful. Right? It's one thing to talk about God's love and to celebrate God's love, but to see it on display speaks volumes to people who have never experienced it before. When they see it tangibly displayed by the way that we care for people, God's love through Jesus Christ becomes very real and very attractive to those who don't yet know it. That's what happened in Jerusalem when people got their roles right within the church. There were thousands of poor priests who were living in that area. And they saw God's love and care enacted for these poor widows, and it spoke to their heart profoundly. It spoke to their hearts in a way that words alone cannot. The gospel resonated powerfully, and many came to believe. When we get our roles right, when we proclaim the gospel to the watching world, right, by not only our words but our actions, right, that's the power of getting the roles right, of knowing what we are called to do, whether we are a pastor or a deacon or a church member, a Christ follower. Right, when we get that right, we proclaim good news by our words and by our actions, and that is a powerful combination. Serving as we are called to serve. Some as pastors, some as deacons, all as Christ followers. We shine brightly. We are the lighthouse. Right? The, the memory verse we had all of January, Matthew 5.16, right? We are each called 
to shine our light before others so that they see the, they see our good works and they give glory to God, right? We are each called to be the lighthouse, but those we elect today have chosen to take on some additional responsibility and to have a little less freedom in choosing how they shine. So I hope that you will pray for them as they have committed to pray for you. I hope that you will come up to them, pray over them, speak words of encouragement next Sunday night because they have committed to significant sustained service for several years. You've seen who who most of them are. Hopefully you know the rest, but if not, we'll have opportunities to see them on an ongoing basis. And I hope that you'll not only pray for them, but that you'll just go right up to them someday and ask them to pray with and for you. Engage them that way. I hope that you'll become comfortable sharing your concerns or needs with some of them. I would encourage you to invite them to invest time in your life studying God's Word together. All right, I'm probably scaring them right now. That's good. Ask them to help you work through areas where, where you've gotten a little stuck spiritually. They've committed to serve God, to enable the pastors and to minister to our entire congregation, our entire community of faith. So invite them to do exactly that. This is a key step in getting our roles and our responsibilities aligned correctly for the glory of God. And most importantly, for the advance of his kingdom here at Lake Ridge. It is another key step in being the lighthouse. Right? And living out this vision God has given us to be a lighthouse for Jesus Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner. But I want to be clear, as much as I celebrate this moment for us as an organization, as much as we celebrate this moment, we need to remember that every Christian, from our youngest believer to our oldest senior saint, is called to serve God's kingdom through ministry. Right? Important service, important ministry is to be done by every single believer here. So your service matters immensely. And if you're not yet serving in a particular way, if you've not yet either discerned God's call on how to serve or you're kind of resisting God's call, you know what you're supposed to do, but you're not really willing to go there yet. Right? I want to invite you to join us, the ministerial team, in the conference room after service. Right? We're going to have lunch. It's okay if you didn't register. We'll do loaves and fishes. Join us for Discover LRBC. Uh, this is a great way to get to know us better, get to know the church better, and to most importantly, help you integrate into the life of the church. Right, so that you can find that passion and put it to work. Because there is just nothing better than living in the will of God. There is nothing better than serving God the way he has called and gifted and equipped and prepared you to do. Because amazing things can happen for God's kingdom when we get our roles right. And that means each and every one of us here today. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for this amazing story. What an encouraging story. Because we can get discouraged being the church in the culture today where there's resistance and apathy towards the matters of the faith. Lord, we're reminded that there was resistance in the first century. 
and yet your spirit worked powerfully and your kingdom grew explosively. Father God, we want to experience that here in this community in eastern Prince William County, Lord. We just pray for an awakening, a great movement to Jesus Christ in this community, Lord, because there are so many who need to experience your love through Jesus. Father God, help us to be the lighthouse that you have called us to be, to to shine that light of your love through our actions and our words. Father God, you are calling each of us to serve in some way to advance your kingdom. And you delight in that service, whatever form it takes. You delight when your children step into the good works you prepared in advance for us to do. So, Father God, I pray now that you will hear us as we confess to you those things that we have refused to do, the steps we have failed to take that you have called us to take. Hear our confession now. We ask your forgiveness. Father, we delight that you do forgive us when we ask for that forgiveness. So forgive us for those cases where we have failed to do what you have called us to do. But Lord, we know that your spirit empowers us to do the things you've called us to do. We know that your spirit goes with us when we do them, that your son Jesus promises to be with us. So Lord, give us the courage and the will to do it, whatever the sacrifice may be, whatever it is we might have to set down, of whether it's comfort or a leisure or a hobby or, or something you are calling us to set down, Lord. Make us faithful to obey. Father God, for those that we have elected as deacons today, I pray that you would continue to work in their lives and that you would use them in a powerful way to minister to all those in this community of faith. That we may be that lighthouse, that we might shine brighter and brighter with every passing week and month and year. Lord God, we pray for that explosion of faith, that explosion of your kingdom as we push back the borders of the domain of darkness. Father God, we pray that you will continue to work in our hearts to clarify on each of us the call and that assurance of your love would fill our hearts with a joy and a delight that just keeps us from ever wanting to not obey your will. Father, I lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.